What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Nothing But Sports podcast. This is episode 43. We are back. I am back. Took a little bit of a break to not upload or no record last week, but we are back. And this episode is going to be a lot because we got a lot to talk about. We got four things to talk about. They're all pretty big topics. So we're going to start off with NFL Aaron Rodgers back with the Packers in training camp. All that good jazz for them. Uh, the Knicks draft last night and the recap of what I at least thought and, you know, kind of what they could have done, you know, stuff like that, a general consensus that we're going to do. NBA, uh, Woj dropped an absolute, uh, Woj dropped a Woj bomb yesterday and announced the Lakers are tra- were trading for Russell Westbrook. So we're going to talk about that. And then to finish up, we're going to take a look at the MLB trade deadline madness. Obviously, I'm not going to cover every deal, but... Oh my goodness, one of the, maybe the best deals, um, best trade line deadlines ever with the amount of movement there was, and oh my god, was it was it, uh, was it something crazy. The MLB trade deadline was absolutely crazy, but now the storm is, the storm has passed. It's, it, I don't think any more deals are going to be flooding in now. I've left it to about an hour, an hour plus, just about an hour till after the deadline, so no deals, I think, are going to be announced at this point, but yeah. All right. So let's get it started. So let's get started with Aaron Rodgers. So Aaron Rodgers is back in camp with the Green Bay Packers, and they have basically figured out, you know, adjusted his contract and all that stuff so the future years of his deal are voided because are voided. So he has the will to either, you know, request a trade or leave Green Bay and but play this season out. And this is looking like his last year in Green Bay. You know, I've been on the fence about Aaron Rodgers this whole time about, you know, whether I thought he was being, you know, a little bit of a baby and the fact that, you know, he wasn't, he didn't play well in that NFC title game and all that stuff. But this is his last year. I'm glad he finally, I'm glad he decided to come back to Green Bay because Green Bay's got another very good shot this year at winning the Super Bowl. So I think the only way Aaron Rodgers stays in Green Bay is if he wins a Super Bowl. If he does not win a Super Bowl, I think he is out of there. And even if they don't win a Super Bowl, I still think he should stay because I feel like that's the best spot. You know, a lot of people are throwing out Denver. But the problem with Denver is that defense with Vaughn Miller is aging quickly. Quickly. I know they have a talented wide receiver core, but but still in the offensive line has struggled at times. So it's so I so I wouldn't think Denver would be a good option for him. So that's that's why I think he should stay with Green Bay. I don't think he will. I think he's had enough with management. And he went absolutely in in the press conference. He basically threw the Packers like management under not just like not just the bus, but maybe fifty buses there was. Just you know, oh, bus there, let's throw him under. Bus there, just throw him under. He completely went in, you know, talking about how he feels like they've disrespected locker room guys, Jordy Nelson, you know, John Coon, John Coon, uh, Charles Woodson. I think he also mentioned Randall Cobb, uh, Jabril Peppers, and I. And to to an extent, I kind of agree with him. But if you look at it, as far as like you know, disrespecting John Kuhn didn't play another game in the in another uh, in the NFL after Charles Woodson played for Oakland for what two more years after and didn't wasn't like super. He played well, but he wasn't you know at a super high level. Jabril Peppers was old at the time. He had already played ten plus years in in Carolina and then and and also in Green Bay. And Jordy, I think, was also pretty beat up at that point. I don't think Jordy Nelson again played another NFL game after that. I, I someone can correct. I I believe he did not 
play another NFL game after Green Bay. So, so it's not like these guys were young, you know, guys that just, com- yeah, so, oh no, he did play. Okay, so Jordy went, so after Jordy actually um, left Green Bay, he played one more year in Oakland, and in that year, he totaled 730 yards. So not that great, okay? He, and he totaled 482 in his last in his last year in Green Bay in 2017. So as you can see, like, I'm trying to get it. You know, these guys weren't at the top of their games. And as far as a management per- perspective goes, you'd much rather release a guy one year to one year earlier than one year later. Because if you release him one, or, one year earlier, you don't have to deal with the money. Where if you release him later, then you have to deal with money. It sets you back a couple years. And all that stuff. So in that aspect, I don't agree with Aaron Rodgers. But the part I do agree on him, and I think he does have a right to be upset, is the fact that he hasn't had the ability to talk to free agents. That, and I think he obviously now wants more now because what seeing what Tampa Bay did with Tom Brady. Oh, you want, you know, you want Leonard Fournette? Okay, we'll bring you Leonard Fournette. You want Antonio Brown? We'll bring you. You want to bring Gronk back? Okay, we'll do that. And I think Aaron Rodgers has earned the right. Three MVPs, a Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP. He has earned the right to to have an influence on free agency things. You know, and what receivers he wants to bring in here. Because he mentioned it, you know, he put it perfectly. They're not coming to play to Green Bay for a vacation, you know. The reason they're coming to, to Green Bay is to play with him. So, and that's clearly shown to Devontae Adams. Because I don't think he'll play in Green Bay once Aaron Rodgers is gone. So, I do agree with him in that. They should they should give him more voice. But the problem is, Mark, you know, Gutekunds, oh, I can't pronounce his name, Brian Gutekunds, is basically saying, you know, in his presser saying, oh, you know, Aaron Rodgers knows, you know, he'll have the same as normal. So that means you're not going to give him another voice in free agency? Brian, uh, Green Bay, you have given, you Aaron Rodgers have given you one year. You've given him a full year, even if you don't win a Super Bowl, to convince him to stay. You have to change anything. You can't just say, oh, you know, you know, we'll do the same as normal, you know. You know, he'll have the same normal input, which seems to be none. You you have to try and do that because you want him to stay. He's given you an opportunity to try and, try and, you know, make him happy and stay, okay? And I think they've already tried it because they traded for Randall Cobb. I don't think that's a coincidence after he said that. And Randall Cobb is still only 30, he's still he's 30 years old, but... You know, he could have it easy. He was one of Rodgers' safety blankets. So he can he can have a pretty big year with Green Bay. If not not a huge year, but you know, obviously with Devontae, but he can have a you know decent decent under the radar kind of year to help the Green Bay offense out. You know, he's also experienced in the playoffs, so you know that's a good move for them trading back for him, you know, giving Rodgers one of his old buddies and favorite targets back. But you have to give him a voice in free agency. <clears throat> you have to. You know, Mike Tannenbaum was talking on the radio and he brought up this interesting story about the New York Giants before the 2007 NFL season. And they were going through wide receivers, you know, that's Eli Manning, him, and, you know, back, you know, and the, the office, they were going through wide receivers, and, you know, they were like, okay, you know, we're going to cut David Tyree. And Eli was like, why don't you, you know, you want my opinion on the situation? They're like, yeah. And they're like, don't cut him. You know, he's one of my favorite targets. You know, don't do not cut David Tyree. And they all looked at him like, what? He's like, I'm the one throwing the ball to him. Do not cut him. And then lo and behold, he makes the helmet catch. Now, he didn't do much after that or before that, but, he, you know, he made the helmet catch there. So, in that case, you know, I do believe Aaron Rodgers has deserved the right to, 
you know, talk to free agent players. So that I'm, I'm in agree with there. But as far as, you know, the disrespect to locker room guys, I don't really have a problem with Green Bay doing that. But I, I do agree with Aaron Rodgers in that he does deserve a voice in in free agency. Now, if Green Bay can somehow find a way to make him happy and make him stay, then that's that's a huge plus for them. But as of now, if the Packers don't win the Super Bowl, Aaron Rodgers is out. He's already, you know, put cryptic message on his Instagrams, you know, with the Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen kind of last dance sort of vibe. So we'll see. I think, you know, the dynamic in the locker room will be fine, you know, as long as Aaron Rodgers is back and fully committed. And there it is, because Green Bay's got a, like I said before, Green Bay's got a very good chance at winning the Super Bowl because, you know, the offense was number one last year and, you know, they're, they're going to get a little better. You know, probably be the same. They'll probably, again, have a top two offense. And the defense at the end of the year was really starting to mesh together and play well, which has been a problem in Green Bay. They haven't had much of, you know, a defense. But all of a sudden, you know, they were starting to mesh together. So you'd think now with without the COVID year, they could come together and they can have a stellar defense. And then all of a sudden, they have a very good, a well-rounded team. And, you know, in a weak NFC North, you know, cruise through the division, and possibly see themselves hosting another NFC Championship game where a lot of things could have gone their way and they could have gotten to the Super Bowl and probably won the Super Bowl. So they have a, uh, they're probably behind, you know, behind Tampa and and uh, K- KC. They're right there as far as winning the Super Bowl. So we we will see. You know, Aaron Jones is locked up for the five year extension. Green Bay's got a great chance at running it back. So we'll see. We'll see. But again, if they don't win the Super Bowl, I really think Aaron Rodgers is gone. Feel like he's had enough of it, but you know, hey, credit to him. He's decided to come back one more year. But Aaron Rodgers, if they don't win the Super Bowl, is gone this year. Is gone after this year. All right. Now let's move into uh, the NBA. NBA. We're going to talk the Knicks draft last night, and I'm going to be completely honest. The first thing I t- I um I said once the draft was draft was ended was, man, that was really weird. That was extremely confusing and very weird because there was trades galore happening. You know, they were like, with the with the uh, 19th pick, the New York Knicks select, you know, uh, Kai Jones, but he's actually, but they had told this pick is actually going to the Clippers, not the Clippers, ugh, where it was going, Charlotte or something. And I was like, with the 21th pick, they select Keon Johnson, Tennessee, yeah, let's go, we got Keon Johnson, absolute freak, oh wait. He's going somewhere else. Damn, he's going to the Clippers. With the 25th pick, the Clippers select Quentin Grimes. Oh, wait. That's our pick. He's coming to New York. <laughs> so it was really confusing, and it was probably really confusing for a lot of fans in attendance because they're, like, checking their phones like, wait. Wait, we didn't get Keon John. Wait, we got Quentin Grimes? I thought the Clippers picked him. So <laughs> it was it was a weird draft, but um, in conclusion, I thought it was a decent, a, a decent, a pretty good draft for the Knicks. Like I said, I had said before to to people that it'd be really hard for the New York Knicks to mess up this draft. There were so many different, you know, well-talented players that they could have gotten. Um, so, you know, they had originally 19th and 21st pick. They traded down to 25th. They got Quentin Grimes. The 34th pick, they got Rokas Jokubatis from, uh, and he's, you know, overseas player, uh, played for Barcelona. Uh, 36th pick, Miles McBride, West Virginia, very good point guard. 50, 58th pick, uh, Jericho uh, Smith from Tennessee, who is an athletic freak. Jericho Smith can jump out of the building. And this New York Knicks team who has... And again, 
you know, and they're stockpiling picks again for the future. But, you know, the Knicks, they're just adding young talent to what is already a very good young core. Built on the backs of Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, Obi Toppin as well, Emmanuel Quickly. Emmanuel Quickly was there. Who knows if D Rose will be back? But, you know, they I think in Miles McBride, they found their point guard. You know, finally, Knicks fans, you finally don't we finally don't have to get sick of seeing Alfred Payton try and try and run the offense. Miles McBride is a very good point guard with a lot of upside. Um so is Grimes. Grimes is not a point guard, but you know, a lot of people at first were confused about the Quentin Grimes pick, but to be completely honest, I see it as a very I see it as a good pick. He's a knockdown three-point shooter. He's got he's got big game experience because he took the Houston he was the best player on the Houston Cougars team that went to the final four. So th- he's got big game experience and he's played in big level, high level and big um big NCAA uh college games. He's a knockdown three-point shooter. Okay, that's good. And he's also a very good, very good He's a very good de- uh, perimeter defender. He's just a good defender in general. And the New York Knicks had, you know, top top in defensive efficiency. Tibbs loves those scrappy defensive flair. He's got one, but the difference is he can put the ball in the basket with the three-point shot. He's lights out from the three-pointer. That's what the Knicks are lacking. They're lacking a score like that. So now you give, you, you know, if you, you know, Julius Randle gets inside, you know, gets in the post, does a spin move, kick it out. Quentin Grimes could be there for an open three. You know, he's a knockdown three-point shooter. He's in the top percentile of three-point makes. So it was, it's, a good, it's a very good pick for New York. Now, a lot of people are angry they didn't pick Sharif Cooper, but clearly they didn't have to because that would have been a reach at that point because Sharif dropped all the way to 52. Um, yeah, yeah, 52. And they end up, and, you know, a lot of people are, you know, questioning, you know, why take Miles McBride over Sharif Cooper? You know, Sharif Cooper is extremely athletic. Well, no, I mean, he's extremely energetic to watch, and he probably has the best IQ in the draft. Quentin Grimes also has a very good basketball IQ, but Sharif Cooper's passing ability is great. But I looked at the numbers. Sharif Cooper shoots 20% from three-point range and does not have a good jump shot. McBride shoots about 40%. So Miles McBride, although Miles McBride is not perfect, he, again, but Miles McBride, he's very good on defense as well. Notice that a lot of these guys that the New York Knicks are going to pick are very good on defense. McBride is very active with the steals, <clears throat> getting in the passing lanes, causing deflections. The one problem he is, he tends to overplay the defense, which is the problem that I think I can live with. But he tends to overplay, and then he'll get blown by. But I think Tibbs can sort him out there because Tibbs is a defensive-minded guy. And, you know, he, he needs some improvements in his shot selection. But he has brilliant, and shooting is not super consistent, but he has brilliant uh, shot creation potential. He's playmaking potential and shooting potential. He's got all those. Those are all ceilings. He's got a very high ceiling, Miles McBride. So it's a good pick for the Knicks. And then at... Um, and as far as Rokas um, Jobatis, you know, from um, from overseas, a lot of people are saying he's got a very sim- very similar game to Goran Dragic, and I'll take that. I'll take a guy who's very similar to Goran Dragic. Now he's probably not going to be there for the season because he still has a couple years left in that Barcelona contract, so he might not come all the way over. But you know, he'll he'll play another year in that league in um you know in overseas. And one thing about overseas basketball is it's a very tough physical league. So that transition you know, to the NBA will be fine. There won't be, you know, he won't be overwhelmed with, you know, strength or power. He'll have the physicality to keep, you know, he'll have the physicality to stay in the NBA because the international game is way more physical than the NBA itself. So that's there. And again, he's got that, like, you know, 
sort of that sort of Euroleague style player like a Goran Dragic. If you look at Goran Dragic, he's very crafty with his dribbling, can knock down shots. So the fact that you know, you know, he's got a similar game to that, I, I view that as another plus. I know it was a little weird at first. I was like, wait, what? Who the draft? But it, it's a, it's a solid plus pick. And then at the end, the fifty eighth pick, Jericho Smith again. You know, he's a good defensive potential. He can really go. He can really jump. He's very athletic. He's a very athletic guy. You know, can contest people at the rim just to help out with the rim protection. Nerlens Noel is already holding it down there, but we'll see what the situation. You know, and as well, Mitchell Robinson. People forget Mitchell Robinson is on the team. You know, people forget that because he's been hurt and Nerlens Noel held it down. But now you get Mitchell Robinson and him. He can play behind Mitchell Robinson. All of a sudden, that again, the Knicks are just stockpiling great defensive players. And they've picked up, and they've picked up McBride, and who can who can potentially be a good offensive scorer. And I think Emmanuel quickly is going to take a big step to becoming a big scorer. So the Knicks again, it's a very positive draft. You know, people are saying, was it the best draft? I don't know. Maybe maybe it could have been better. Maybe I would have been okay with uh, sticking with Keon Johnson and Kai Jones. But it it is what it is. It's still a good draft for New York. I I give it a get a good grade. I, I give it a good grade. It's a good draft for them. I'm, I'm okay with, with the players that they got. All right. Now let's move to <clears throat> another NBA topic. Um, Russell Westbrook has been traded to the Lakers. for, And the Wizards in return get Montrezl Harrell, KCP, or Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Kyle Kuzma. Now, a lot of people are liking this deal. A lot of people are not liking this deal. I'm sort of in the camp where I really don't know how this is going to... I'm not a huge fan of the deal. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Now, the Lakers do get the positive in that they get another superstar and they give LeBron more help. You can't really blame the Lakers for going in with LeBron being 37. And Kyle Kuzma was absolutely horrible. Kyle Kuzma needs a chain of change of scenery. Now, whether he'll do well in Washington, he's got great potential. We, we'll see, but he just needed to get out of L.A. He really did. L.A. was just not the place for him. He needed to. He needed to get the hell out of L.A. That that's for sure. That's for sure. So he's out of L.A. That's good for him. But the thing is with Russell Westbrook, <clears throat> the Lakers' biggest need is shooting. The Lakers, the one thing they can't do is shoot the three pointer well. They're horrible in three point. Their de- defensive efficiency and stuff and defense is very good, but their three point game is not very good. And you KCP was your best shooter on the roster. You give him away, and you bring in Russell Westbrook, who no, you know, I love Russell Westbrook, but dude can't shoot. It's just plain and simple. Dude is not a good shooter. He's an attacker. He's a slasher. That's fine, but he can't shoot. So the need for shooting is still there, and a lot of people are, you know, saying, you know, they can go out and get someone in free agency and sign someone who can shoot maybe a J.J. Redick, but keep in mind, Russell Westbrook is set to be paid forty plus million. I think forty one million, then like forty five million, forty one million this coming season, then forty five million after. So that, so what? If you want to get a good high leverage shooter, you're probably gonna have to pay. It's not gonna be super cheap. So you're really you're really putting yourselves in a hole here as far as financial standpoint goes. So. Again, it it, it, it it does fill a need for the Lakers. They need an athletic, athletic uh, some some athleticism in the backcourt. But it also you know almost makes a glaring need worse 
and the fact that they need three-point shooting. Because <clears throat> no disrespect, but LeBron's not gonna, not going to be a consistent enough three uh, three shooter. LeBron is you know three pointers have never been a huge you know LeBron's strengths are not three pointers. Anthony Davis can shoot the three ball well, but every time he th- takes a three ball, you're thinking okay that's fine because he's not going down low. And Russell Westbrook can it can't shoot, so I, I really don't know about this deal. I to be completely honest, I thought the Buddy Heald deal that they were talking about before Westbrook is a lot would have been a lot better op, would have been a, a better option than this. I know that sounds crazy to think because you don't think of Brad um, Buddy Heald as a better player, but Buddy Heald is a knockdown. It has got even though he's got a weird and ugly release, he's got he's a very good three point shooter, he, and he's a very good pure scorer. So and Westbrook, I know he scores forty points, but you know he he takes forty shots to do it. So I really thought Buddy Heald would have been a better option <clears throat> for the Lakers over Russell Westbrook. But I think they just went with Westbrook because of star talent, and he's had experience in playoff games. But, again, I mean, Bradley Beal would have also been an option, but it seems like the Wizards are not willing to move Bradley Beal, and to be completely honest, it doesn't seem like Bradley Beal is going to move from Washington. But, but yeah. We will see it. So it, it's a weird deal for the Lakers. It really is. I'm really intrigued to see how this goes out. I don't think this is a this is a slam dunk of a deal. Um, did I expect it? I thought they'd go out and get Chris Paul or something, but I mean, I'm not super surprised they got Westbrook. But we will. Uh, but but again, because I just said because they're glaring needs for shooting and Westbrook not addressing those. And with the amount of money he's going to have to be paid, it's going to be really tough to go get another shooter. And KCP was already your better shooter, best shooter on the roster. So it's a weird move for the Lakers. As far as for the Wizards go, as their standpoint, it's clear that this is set up to keep Bradley Beal with a long-term extension. They get more bench pieces. They get Montrezl Harrell, who's a good, good, good bench piece. Kyle Kuzma maybe can play well, and KCP is a serviceable player. And a serviceable, you know, three-point shooter. So, Washington is still not out of the mix just yet. You know, they're stockpiling, not stockpiling, but they're getting talent and they're building. But this is clearly a move to clear space and money for a huge Bradley Beal extension. Because Bradley Beal says he has no intentions to leave Washington, which sucks because I'd love to have him in New York. But it it's clear that he has, it's clear he doesn't want to leave Washington. So, as far as Wizards' standpoint goes, that's that's fine. And as far as for the Lakers contending in the NBA, I still think Brooklyn is the team to beat. I really do. Um, even before this deal, I think I would have put the Lakers in the conference finals, and I think I'll keep them in the conference finals. I don't know. Actually, maybe the NBA finals, because I don't know what the situation is with the Clippers. Kawhi Leonard is going to be out for the year, and who knows if he even stays the Clippers. But, you know, Phoenix, Phoenix is still there. Denver's completely healthy. We don't know what the situation is in Portland, but if Damian Lillard is there for the whole season, that team is still very dangerous. Uh, Utah's still going to be there as well, so it's a dangerous Western Conference. But I think, and the East, obviously, with Brooklyn. I think, like I said, this doesn't this move does not put me over the top as far as taking, for, taking the Lakers over the Nets. I still think I'm going to run with the Nets, but that's the start of the offseason. We'll see what happens. Free when free agency hits in a couple days, but as of now, this does not put me over the top as far as picking them over the nets. So yeah. Anyway, all right, that's going to be it for that part, and now we're going to move into our final topic, and it's a long one. This is probably going to be most of the episode. I um, I'm assuming it's the MLB trade deadline. 
So the trade line deadline just ended about an hour, about an hour and a half ago, two hours ago. And oh boy, oh boy, was it a big one. Probably maybe the the big, you know, as far as movement goes, the mo- the biggest and most chaotic trade deadline we've ever seen. I don't think Jeff Passan got a wink and Ken Rosenthal got a wink of sleep last night. But it's finally over. And I'm going to recap some of the moves. All right. We're going to talk about Yankees. They get Joey Gallo, Anthony Rizzo, Andrew Heaney. The Dodgers get Trey Turner, Danny Duffy, and Mad Max Scherzer. The Giants get Chris Bryant. The Mets get Javier Baez and Trevor Williams. The White Sox get Craig Kimbrell to already add to a loaded a loaded bullpen. The Phillies get Kyle Gibson and Ian Ka- Ian Kennedy. Good good pitching. The Red Sox get uh the Red Sox get um Kyle the Red Sox get Kyle Schwarber. Good piece. And the Blue Jays get Ho- uh, Jose Barrios. Good starting pitcher. So those are just some of the moves. I mean, we're not even talking about the, um, you know, the star, the Starling Mar- uh, Marte deal. The Mariners getting Diego Castillo, as well, to help with their bullpen. But I want to talk about the moves I just talked about. So let's start with the Yankees because I'm a Yankees fan. You know, and I've been talking about the Yankees a lot this year. Good, a very good trade deadline, I'd say. Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo definitely are going to help the lineup for the reasons that they're big bats and they're lefties. Think about it. Before this trade deadline, really the only lefty the Yankees had was Rugnet Odor. I mean, Brett Gardner's there, but Brett Gardner's not what he used to be and is not a huge threat in the hitting game. So really, Rugnet Odor has played well recently, but he was really the only threat in the Yankee lineup that was left-handed. And now all of a sudden, they have two lefties in the lineup, and the two lefties are freaking Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo, who are huge threats. Gallo um, has always been leading up there in, as far as home runs go. Yeah, I know Joey Gallo strikes out a lot. He'll fit perfectly into the Yankee lineup. Ha, ha, ha. Get it? Because they strike out a lot. Yeah. But it's still a good move. They get significantly better And as far as lefties go. And, and now the Yankees can finally have two hitters that can smash that short porch and right. For the, you know, that's one thing that they haven't had. Lefties play really well at Yankee Stadium, but they just haven't had them over time. Think about all the big Yankee hitters. They're all right-handed. John Carlos right-handed. Torres is right-handed. Aaron Judge is right-handed. Really, the only hitter that could hit left was before Rugnet Odor was Aaron Hicks, and he was a switch hitter, and he was and he was inconsistent. And Rugnet Odor, for how good he's been lately, is still pretty inconsistent. And I know Gallo is a streaky hitter. Gallo's like almost like the left-handed John Carlos Danton, but he's also a Gold Glover, so he's going to play the outfield and going to help as far as there goes, to sure up, because the Yankees have had a lot of defensive errors as well this year, so he'll help there, that's a plus as well, and Anthony Rizzo is also a very good first baseman, and Luke Voigt, I love Luke Voigt, but he's been, he's been on the IL constantly this year, so now they don't have to worry about the depth at the first base, because they got Anthony Rizzo, so it's a really good move for the Yankees, I'm really liking this now, and also, with the three batter minimum rule, this really makes managers think hard about putting certain in pitch, certain pitchers in because you can squeeze Gallo in between Judge and Stanton and then you can maybe even squeeze uh you know you can squeeze Rizzo in before LeMahieu. So it's a LeMahieu or maybe you can even go Judge Gallo and Rizzo. There's so many different ways you can organize the lineup. It really makes them think hard about putting in you know putting in rele- a le- you know lefty relievers. So we'll see. And also the Andrew Heaney deal I know it's a bit of a head scratcher. Uh, Andrew Heaney's not the best starting pitcher. He's had his struggles in um, in, L- in in Anaheim, but I mean, it's an it's an okay deal. It's decent. It's decent. You know, Heaney 
He's had an over, it has an over five ERA, but the last month he's, he, you know, la- this month he's put together a very good month. Besides one start, this month Andrew Heaney has been pretty good and has been consistently lowering that ERA besides for one start. So that's a good thing. And also, again, you know, there's that mantra, lefty hitters and lefty pitchers do well in Yankee Stadium. So we'll see. I think, I think Heaney could definitely be like a, almost like a Jamison Tyone in that, you know, he started off terribly and everyone was like, oh my God, what's going on? And Tyone now has all of a sudden, you know, turned it over and has been pitching pretty well. I think Heaney might have that same capability of not maybe pitching the same as Tyone, but pitching that similar level to whereas he's a good serviceable pitcher in a pitching rotation. It's clearly just for depth. And maybe if it all goes awry, maybe stick him in the bullpen. I doubt it. But I mean, the one thing I would have liked the Yankees to do is maybe get another bullpen arm, but Besides that, I can't really complain about the trade deadline. It's been pretty good. We'll see. It's all for the wild card right now. The Yankees are probably officially out of the division race after that series in Boston. But, you know, and so they'll be they'll be the wild card game. And they just took two out of three against the Rays at the Trop again. So they can prove they've proved that they can win at the Trop yet. And a one game series with Garrett Cole, even though he hasn't pitched well, he didn't pitch well against the Rays that game. You gotta like your chances with that lineup. So we're gonna see. Okay. So that's as far as the Yankees go. Now let's talk about the Dodgers. Because the Dodgers, in my opinion, probably just won the World Series. <clears throat> they got they not only got Mad Max Scherzer, they got Trey Turner. So Trey Turner is going to play second base. Corey Seager is going to play short. So they're, they're going to have Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Trey Turner, Max Muncy, um, Trey Turner, Max Muncy, Justin Turner, and, oh my god, I'm blanking on the others because that's how stacked their freaking lineup is. It, it's, it's, it's unbelievable how stacked their lineup is. I mean, they're literally assembling a super team. It's like Thanos collecting all the Infinity Stones. My goodness, that team is, that team is insane. And also, with Max Scherzer, look at their starting rotation. I know Trevor Bauer, literally they signed Trevor Bauer. He has problems. We don't know if he's going to say, okay, well, we'll just replace you with Max Scherzer. What? I mean, wow. And this completely ruined my light nas- light, uh, night last night because I was like, oh my God, what are the Dodgers just do? Because the Padres, if he went to the Padres, it would have been like, all right, nice, cool. Then we went to the Padres. But he went to the freaking Dodgers. And so now in a five-game series, you're going to, let's assume Trevor Bauer does come back, <clears throat> you know, bargaining the whole, you know, leaving for the, the allegations. But all of a sudden, now you're going to have to face a lineup uh, You're in a, in a best-of-five, best-of-seven series. You're going to have to face Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, Trevor Bauer, Max Scherzer, and maybe even Danny Duffy, who they also got at the trade deadline, or Julio Odias, who has been very good. He closed out the World Series for him. People tend to forget about that. And also, Danny Duffy, people don't even talk about Danny Duffy, who I just mentioned. Another very good, very good uh, serviceable, maybe even flex pitcher. You can put him in there for like a four- or five-inning start. But he mostly works in the bullpen. That's a very good move. The Dodgers are continuing to build pitcher depth. People don't really know about Danny Duffy because he plays for the Royals, but he's severely underrated. So those moves are really incredible for the Los Angeles Dodgers. But speaking of their divisional rivals, the Giants get Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant, the um, the other Cub member to go, along with Javier Baez, who we'll talk about later with the Mets, but... Um, I mean, this was a big move as well at the end of the deadline. This came in the last 10 minutes. <clears throat> you know, we were all looking at scratching ourselves, like, you know, scratching our heads, like, you know, what are the Giants going to do? You know, with the Dodgers getting Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, the um, the Padres getting, um, you know, Adam Frazier, uh, and um, and uh, who else? Shoot, I'm blanking. They got that. They got a reliever as well, who's also very good. 
Um, Hamilton, I believe, or something. Oh, my God, I'm blanking on his name right now. But it was like, what are the Giants going to do to counteract these moves? They get Chris Bryant. You know, the the um, the Giants lineup is, you know, if you look, you know, a lot of people might know. I know Buster Posey is there, but, you know, they're like, wow, they've got the best record. And I, I think, and I said earlier that, you know, that the Dodgers were going to overtake them, but they're three game, the Do- there are three games up in the Dodgers, and they had Chris Bryant in the cleanup spot. And to be completely honest, at the trade deadline, who else could you have, that would have been better in that spot, could you have requ- acquired, who, who you could have gotten? I mean, I mean, think about it. Maybe for besides Nelson Cruz and maybe even Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, I, I mean, not even Rizzo, but Chris Bryant was probably the best hitter available at the trade deadline. Maybe even maybe Trevor Story, but... Chris Bryant was probably the best hitter at the deadline available, and you got him and put him in the cleanup spot. Very good move for the San Francisco Giants. Gives their offense and bats more consistency so they, so they don't have to lead on their pitching as much, but we'll see. It's going to be fun. And also, another thing, he has faced Max Scherzer and guys like Clayton Kershaw in, with the Dodgers. He has faced those guys a fair bit of times in the playoffs and just in general. So that's a very good move for them. Big uh, World Series League MVP very good, uh, very good job, San Francisco. The Mets, and uh, you know the Mets don't sleep on the Mets yet. You know they're first place in their division, haven't been able to pull away yet. But they get Javier Baez and Trevor Williams. Trevor Williams again, not the best pitcher, more for depth, I guess, in case injuries hit them again. But think about it, the Mets have, you know, the Mets are a couple games, a six, I believe, six games over five hundred, and they still haven't been able to get fully healthy yet. And with Lindor now out on the IL. The Javier Baez move makes perfect sense. And then when Lindor comes back, you got Lindor at short and Baez at second. That's going to be a really dangerous... And now look at the Mets lineup. You know, Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonso, Javier Baez, Francisco Lindor. That's a pretty dangerous lineup if you ask me. That's a lineup not many people want to see. Want to, want to see at all. And that's, you know, we talk about the Mets pitching and all. And, you know... And also Mets pitching, Marcus Stroman, you know, Jacob DeGrom, when he comes back, Marcus Stroman is serviceable number two. People forget about Noah Syndergaard. We don't know what he's going to be like when he comes back. But Carlos Carrasco, he's probably going to be another very solid starter when they come back, and maybe even Trevor Williams. So it's, it's a, it, again, the Mets would have probably liked to put something in the bullpen and maybe even some more depth at the starting position. But again, the fact that they got Baez is pretty good. The Mets lineup is starting to look dangerous. It really is. You know, they their 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 lack of their ability or lack thereof, their lack of ability to score runs has really been hurting people, especially like DeGrom with his records and stuff, but they're starting to get a very scary lineup the Mets are. And again, you know, the at this rate they would probably what was it? They would have to play the uh who would they play in the wild card right now? They wouldn't play the um they wouldn't play the and at this rate actually they would avoid all three NL East teams until the National League Championship Series. So there's a real good chance with this scary lineup you can get the Mets in the NLCS with the way the with the way the standings are situated. Yeah. Yeah, right now they would get the Brewer. The, they would get the Milwaukee Brewers. So there's a and you know again with Jacob DeGrom going maybe games one and five, that's that's a and this scary lineup that don't sleep on the Mets. Really, don't sleep on them. I, I said they would get to the playoffs this year. I thought it was wild card wild carders, but it looks like they're going as division winners. But however, they are not out of the weeds just yet because for how good the Mets have been this year, or you know how Mets fans are enjoying the season, the one frustration is 
they can't, they some reason can't pull away from the Phillies. The Phillies are only three and a half games out, three games out on them. And the Phillies made some really good moves. You got Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy. Kyle Gibson's a very good starting pitcher, 2.4 ERA, helping out that Phillies rotation. You know, the, the talk is, you know, even when Bryce Harper went to Philly, Didi Gregorius went to Philly, Ronald Torres, you know, not, well, not really, you know, the, these guys went to Philly, you know, Eric Hall, these guys went to um, to Philly. The question was, well, could they get the pitch? Could they get the could they get the pitching? Um, could could they get the pitching and uh, and with Hoskins as well? Um, you know, could they get the starting pitching? And they've gotten a decent, they've gotten a pretty good guy on Kyle Gibson. Now the rotation is not a hundred percent set, and same thing as their bullpen. But those are two good moves to really help them. And they're not out of it yet. They're really not out of the division race. You know, they're they're stuck at five hundred, but the Mets have not been able to pull away from them. So for how for how I was just raving about the Mets lineup with Javier Baez. Not out of the weeds just yet. Philly's still kicking around and could make a run at them. So we're going to see. It's going to be really interesting in that division. Now, uh, we got a couple move, little more moves to talk about. Sorry, I'm kind of going quickly through these moves. You know, if, if I were to talk each about each of them for five minutes, I'd be here for like an hour and a half. But the the um, White Sox, another splash at the dead, another splash. They get Craig Kimbrell. And this bullpen for the White Sox, oh, my God. It is a it is like, it is it is a buzzsaw. It is unbelievable how good this bullpen is. Because now looking at it, the White Sox pitchers really need to go only four and five innings because of how good the bullpen is. Just get four innings, one run. And the, all, I mean, also, to be completely honest, the, the White Sox starting pitching hasn't been, you know, too bad this year. I mean, I know it hasn't been unbelievable, but it hasn't been horrible. You know, they've had some good... You know they they still have some some good pitchers on the lineup. You know, in the um on the team. So you know you know Lucas Giolito as well. Lance Lynn. You know Keuchel Keuchel not as much anymore, but Lance Lynn. You know Giolito has shown some flashes of good of great pitching. So the fact that they only need to go like four or five innings and they can just hand it off to their bullpen. I mean they already have Liam he- you know Hendricks who's already been in. Just unhittable closer. He has been otherworldly dominant. And now you probably put Craig Kimbrell in as the setup guy, and you can probably flip-flop the two. One can set up for the other. That's just that's just unbelievable. And postseason games, you know, having your pitcher only go four innings and you know, taking your bullpen, and they still got they still got a really dangerous lineup as well. Sky's the limit for this young White Sox team. You know, um, we talked about sky's the limits for them. This is a real good move. Craig Kimbrell, I know they had to give up a lot to get him, but I think I think it's going to be worth it because they're going to be making some, you know, in the future, you know, 60 to 43 this year, you know, probably easily winning the division at this point. At this point they'd match up against the Astros, which would be a really good series, but you know, you could possibly see these team this this White Sox teams in, you know, 2-3 years times if they keep everyone in November for the World Series. You know, maybe even this year, maybe they pull off something against the Astros. I don't know if they pull something off against the Red Sox or the Rays, but we'll see, we'll see. You can only face one of those AL East teams because they're all in the same division. So, White Sox are looking dangerous as well. A lot of teams got a a lot of teams got a lot of teams got really, really, really dangerous at this trade deadline. And now we're going to talk about the Blue Jays. So they get Jose Barrios. You know, Barrios was one of the better pitchers at the deadline, but I think they did overpay for him a little bit. Actually, not a little bit. I think they they overpaid for him. Um, they had to give up. I think they're you know top you know two of their top four prospects. 
So, you know, the fact, you know, Padres fans weren't too disappointed that they missed out on him now looking for how much they offer. You know, he, they wanted, but the Blue Jays, I, I know I keep saying this, but the Blue Jays are really scary. You know, people talk about the Yankees making a push for the wild card game. Blue Jays are only one game worse than them. So I think they're only four and a half back at the second wild card spot. And George Springer has been in and out of the lineup. Hunter Ayu, their number one pitcher, has suffered injuries, you know, time and time again. And, you know, so, you know, with, now with um, with Cav Biggio, Biggio has also hit the hit the IL a couple times. And with Biggio, Bichette, Guerrero, Springer, you know, those four already extremely dangerous as a lineup. And now with Hunrayu, now you had Barrios as probably your number two pitcher. That's, that's a dangerous team who can also make a run in a tough division. People seem to forget about them because people tend to talk about how much, how good the Red Sox and Rays have been and how much of a disappointment the Yankees have been. People tend to forget that the Blue Jays are still kicking. They're still alive and kicking in that division, and they've played the Yankees pretty well when they've matched up against them. So there's a real chance that they end up getting that wild card spot over the Yankees. Now, I don't know if either team will get it. I mean, because they're going to have to catch Oakland, who made a couple really good moves with a uh, with um, couple really good moves. You know, Seattle also picked up Diego Castillo in the bullpen, but Blue Jays are only four and a half back. You know, that's pretty reachable. So. And if the Yankees, you know, they get a series versus the Yankees, you know, they win that, then all of a sudden they're, you know, they're they're in the hunt there because they're taking games away from New York. So people tend to forget about that. They're still, still kicking, kicking about, kicking about, yeah. Uh, and I just realized I called the Dodgers division the NL East instead of the NL West. Oh, never mind. But yeah, the, never mind there. So final, final um, mover and talk about the Red Sox. They get Kyle Schwarber. Um. I mean, it's just it's just another big bat for them. The Red Sox have been a real surprise with the way they've been hitting the ball with Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, J.D. Martinez, and now you get um now you get Kyle Schwarber, who's a pretty tr- very good who can probably be a very good designated hitter. Schwarber absolutely slugs the ball. He's, um, he almost reminds me of another Mitch Moreland, and I got a feeling he's gonna be a Yankee killer. He really seems like he's gonna be a Yankee killer. But, you know, he, he reminds me of a Mitch Moreland kind of guy who can slug, come in for pinch hits, and absolutely crush the baseball. So, so Red Sox, you know, although they missed out on guys like Rizzo and uh, Max Scherzer, you know, and they're still in first place, they, 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 do, they do well here. A lot of teams re- did really well in this division. Like, if you, look at the, if you look at the teams involved in this deadline, you know, you can even go division by division. Really, uh, we're, actually, you know, what, let's do that. Let's go division by division, okay? You know, um, Yankees significantly improved. Blue Jays got a good move. Red Sox got a good move. The Rays, you could say, were probably a little bit disappointing, but they also got Nelson Cruz earlier, so they they all made moves to improve. In the Central, the Chicago White Sox, already leading the division, just get better and better with Craig Kimbrell. Um, this is the one division where I could see disappointment. You know, Houston. You know, didn't do much at the deadline. Got a couple moves in, but, you know, didn't do a lot. Oakland as well. Oh, actually, Oakland. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an idiot. Oakland also did very well at the deadline. So, Oakland also did um did very well at the deadline uh, earlier. The, for the, um, for Starling, uh, yeah, for Starling Marte, who leads the league in hits. So, never mind me saying that Oakland didn't do much. They also got uh, significantly better as well. And again, five and a half back, maybe they can catch Houston for the division. Then the Mets. Mets, although a lot of people, may, a lot of fans may, maybe would have liked to see more relievers, a little more done. You improve with Javier Baez, and you know maybe you know if everyone comes back healthy. Phillies, you stay in the hunt. You put the pressure on the Mets with Ian Kennedy and Kyle Gibson. 
So that's good. Washington, Washington just completely blew it up at the deadline. Rebuild for the future. Same thing with the Cubs. They completely blew it up at the deadline. Then you go to the NL West, which is already crazy. Padres, I think the most disappointing team would probably be the Padres because they missed out on Max Scherzer, the Dodgers, and then didn't get uh, Barrio, um, Jose Barrios, but um, but still got a couple decent moves in there. Dodgers, slam dunk. Giants almost slam dunk with Chris Bryant. So pretty much every team in the hunt improved at this deadline, and it's going to be really interesting to see how these uh, moves affect the season uh, later in the season, especially as we get into the offseason. But again, what a crazy deadline. Um, I up and down emotionally. It was unbelievable. Anyway, that is all the time. We're gonna, I mean, that is that is really all I have to talk about. This episode's already pretty long. It's already running about 45 minutes. So yeah, um, thank you all for listening, and I will see you again next week.